0: God is using and redeeming sports in order to uh, proclaim his kingdom and to, and to bring forth uh, his gospel amongst people. Um, just such uh, creative ways and and uh, opportunities for uh, the kingdom to go forth. So uh, I'd invite anyone, if you guys want to go out to, to grab lunch or something, or um, if you want to take them out to eat at any point over the next uh, month or so, they're here until January 30th, I believe. Um, please do talk to them. Uh, Rick and Jian is their house church shepherd, but they're away on a On a trip with their, uh, they've got relatives in, Um, but I'm sure Matt and Joe would love, love, love to to talk to you. Um, So please do uh, connect with them. Uh, So growing up, my brother and I used to watch a lot of TV shows. Um, One of the shows that we really enjoyed watching was a show called That's Incredible. Has anyone ever heard of that show? That's Incredible, Lynette. Okay, a few of us who are uh, a little bit (laughs) uh, cooler. That's Incredible is a show that came on. It was hosted by Kathy Lee Crosby, Fran Tarkenton, and this other guy. Um, and the three of them would, would bring on these people. So one of the first, as far as I know, one of the first reality talent shows where people would come on and they would show off their amazing and incredible talents. There was a guy, I remember this guy named Ming Tai, because my brother would always pretend that he was him. And this guy was a, before... so. We think that the Rubik's Cube became popular with the advent of this movie, The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. But back in the day, in the 80s, it was all the rage. Everybody had one. And so everybody was playing with their Rubik's Cubes, and nobody knew how to solve them. So we would take it apart and put it back together, and people would be like, oh, my gosh, you're so good at it. Or some people, like the younger ones, would take off the stickers and then stick them on to make sure that make to make the thing solved. There's a guy named Ming Tai who was the first guy I knew and this guy was amazing. He was like a Vietnamese, tall, lanky guy. And he would go on this That's Incredible show, and he would look at it, and he would look at it, look at it, look at it. And then they would push the button, the timer would go off, and he would, like, like, crazy stuff, put it down in, like, seven seconds, and he's done. Like, oh, my goodness, this guy is, like, ridiculous. There's another guy on the show. He claimed to be able to catch bullets with his teeth. And so they shot a bullet, and he was going to catch it. And so after that happened, there was a disclaimer that came on the bottom of the screen during the show. And this is the first place you've seen it. This is a trivia question answer. It says, do not try this at home. Okay, that's incredible. It was the first show that started saying, do not try this at home because some of the tricks were so dangerous. There was a guy who, um, and this is really dangerous to your mind. There was a guy who could multiply like nine digit numbers in his head and solve it in like two seconds. That's crazy. He was, Probably Asian, but I don't know. But yeah, it's incredible stuff. And there was a young boy named Eldrick, and his father would take him on. He was three years old, and his dad would show that this boy could putt a golf ball from every angle and put it into a hole. This guy later grew up to be known as Tiger Woods. But the point of the show was they would bring on all of these things in order that we would look at that and say, wow, that is incredible, that is amazing, that we would be left in awe and wonder At their deeds. As we begin uh, this year, I want for us to recover the wonder of Jesus, to be in awe again and to be amazed again. And who he is and what he does and what he came to do so that we would never indeed lose the wonder, the wonder of who he is and all that he's come to do. And so we're going to look for the next few weeks at the miracles of Jesus and to see that they're more than just powerful demonstrations of divine quality, but they're actually teaching us something beyond that. And so today we want to look at the first miraculous sign that Jesus did. It's going to come from John chapter 2. John chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. This is the first miracle that Jesus ever did in his earthly ministry. So many of you know that Jesus, for the first part of his life, he was not outwardly doing messianic things, right? He was a carpenter. Good. And he was a carpenter for the first how many years of his life? 30 30 years of his life. 30 years. We knew that, right? We're just being a little bit reticent here. Uh, First 30 years of his life, he was a carpenter, and then he busts onto the scene, and he does here his first miracle. This is John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. This is God's word. The Jesus' first miracle happens at a wedding. Weddings in those days were like the penultimate celebration event. They would oftentimes last up to a week, and the entire village would be invited to this affair. So the whole village comes. Say we're a village, and Protein is getting married to, what's the girl's name you're marrying? Good. So he's marrying uh, Amino, and so they're getting married together. They invite the entire village to come. So here we are. The whole village is out, and we're celebrating. Oh, it's so good. And to a poor podunk village town in Galilee like Cana. This is not Alexandria, Egypt. This is not Jerusalem. It's not Rome. This is a tiny little town They looked forward to weddings because these people were overworked. They were tired. They were heavily taxed. They needed an opportunity to just get away and to celebrate and to have fun and to let loose with friends and family, wine and food. And so Jesus decides that the backdrop of his first miracle was going to be at a wedding in the tiny town of Cana for a people desperately in need of a celebration. remember this is John chapter 2 how does John chapter 1 begin well you just turn back a page you'll see it says in the beginning was the word so any Jewish person reading this when they hear in the beginning what are they thinking what are you thinking in the beginning well your mind would go back to Genesis 1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning was the word what john's gospel is telling us is that jesus is ushering in a new creation he is recreating the world when jesus comes he is redoing everything that sin has crippled the world in from its original intent right everything that was robbed from the world because of sin jesus is recreating and so john is telling us that in the beginning jesus is ushering in a whole new world uh, New fantastic point of view, if you will, if you're Aladdin fans. So that's what Jesus is doing. So he's bringing in a new creation, and the miracles that he's doing are not suspensions of laws of nature, as people like C.S. Lewis and uh, and other uh, scholars will say. He's not suspending nature. He's using nature. And he's accelerating the process. He's all around. Yesterday, as we are driving back from our fasting retreat, we saw a sign for these vineyards where you could taste free wine. All around, water is being turned into wine. But what Jesus does, he does it in a faster way, using these natural processes. He doesn't suspend nature in his miracles. He's accelerating them to restore creation to the way that it was meant to be. So why, then, is turning water into wine so important? The first thing that we see here, the first thing, the first message that we see is that Jesus is restoring joy to a world that had lost it. Right? Jesus was restoring to us a joy that was lost. So here are these people, they've come to a wedding, and they're expecting, more than anything else, they're expecting to drink wine. But a problem happens. Maybe this this family is poor, as many people in Cana were. Maybe there were too many guests who showed up. There were wedding crashers back in that day also. But the point is, before the wedding feast is done, the wine runs out, and they got problems. So some say maybe they watered down the wine to try and make it last longer. They filled the cup only halfway filled. But regardless of how it happened, how it played out, the reality is that come some way through the feast before it's all done, the wine runs out. This is problematic on many levels. If you invite someone to your wedding and there's no more food left, that's big Problem, right? Because some people only come for the food. You know that, right? It's the parents, uh, your parents' friends. They only come for the food. And so the food runs out. That's a problem. So when the wine runs out, that's a problem at this wedding in Cana. But not only is it a problem because that's, you got egg on your face, you're shameful, but did you know that the groom who is throwing this wedding, for whom the wedding is for, his family could be sued if there's not enough wine? Because the guests would say, They didn't provide adequate gifts for the guest. But on a deeper level, this is why it's problematic. The old rabbinic tradition. Psalm 104.15 says, Praise the Lord for wine that gladdens the heart. In the Old Testament, as you read through the Old Testament, wine is synonymous with joy. So much so that the ancient rabbis had a saying. They would say, if there's no wine, then there's no joy. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, I came, my first miracle was to a wineless wedding, I came to bring wine. To a world that has run out of joy, I've come to bring joy. Let me ask you, do you have joy in your heart? Are you living in this joy that Jesus came to bring? See, joy, he, Jesus doesn't invite us, and, and the first thing he's doing, he's just blowing the head off of the argument and says, I don't want to become a Christian because it's boring. The first sign that you have no idea who Jesus is and that you, what he came to do is that you're bored with your Christian life. If you're bored with your Christianity, if there's no joy in your Christianity, could I say that maybe you've subscribed to a different version of Christianity than the one that Jesus came to bring? Happy New Year, everybody. Let's get unsafe so that we can really come to know Jesus. It's not, a, it's not a mental thing. It's not something that we learn and study. He invites us to a wedding feast where we taste and see his goodness. It's not something that you just study and you follow this set of things to do. That's not what, Christi- that's not what Jesus came to bring. You see, it's interesting because there are two ways that Jesus says we look for joy in this world. The first way we look for it, he he talks about, well, we look for joy in the world by drinking the wine of the world and its pleasures and its delights. The wine of the world promises us so much. And I'm not just talking about alcohol, but I'm talking about anything that the world offers to us whether it be alcohol, whether it be uh, sex uh, outside of its proper context, whether it be eating too much food and becoming gluttonous. I don't know what what your thing is, what you turn to. I know the things that I have turned to. But the wine of the world will never bring us joy. It promises a lot, doesn't it? But it doesn't end up satisfying. This is the ways of the world. For Christmas, Elijah got a whole bunch of presents, but one of the presents he got from his grandmother, my mom, was she was rolling through Publix and she saw this train set. Publix is not the kind of place where you buy a train set, but she thought this would be cute. And so she bought it. And the thing, I mean, the packaging was so cheap and it was like the lightest thing. You knew that it was going to break. But on the box, it said real steam comes out of this locomotive there's uh, lights turn off and on it moves on its own and the wheels turn and all this stuff and so Elijah looked at it, he's like yeah he's so excited he's like shaking and he probably broke it when he did because when he opened it or when he asked us to open it all those things that it promised nothing ended up working yeah I looked at the box and it said four double-a batteries required included in toy so we opened it up saw that they were indeed there closed it back up turned it on Elijah was like so excited no steam came out, no lights, no sound, no movement, just sat there. And he was so disappointed. <laughs> so mom took it back to Publix. It's kind of, it reminds me of a song. I don't know if you ever sang the song when you're in elementary school. It's a song called Batteries Not Included. It talks about how um, this girl was watching TV one day. And it's just all about these commercials that she sees. And she sees the prettiest dolly on her TV screen. It had this wonderful little dress and it was beautiful as could be. And I asked my mom to buy one, and so she did. She bought it. And it was so beautiful and so amazing. But when I got it, it was really quite absurd because all she did was sit uh, sit in her bathing suit and didn't say a word. And the chorus goes, batteries not included, accessories sold separately. Somehow things don't look the same as they show you on TV. Isn't that how it is with our world? The rest of the song is funny. It It's like this army jeep and it didn't come with a steering wheel on it or um, this toy phone that promised it would ring and it never rang and so his little brother sat there just waiting for the phone to ring and at the end it says, I've got no money in my piggy bank. I've got holes in all my teeth. I'm just going to go play with my fishing pole and throw it in the lake or something like that. It's a sad song. And it's a sad song that our world sings too, isn't it? Let me ask you something y'all. Is the wine that you're drinking in the world giving you the joy that you thought it would? Is the wine that you're drinking of hanging out and partying with your friends, of doing all of these crazy things, drinking of the forbidden fruit, that's the thing, it looks pleasing to the eye, but it disintegrates in your mouth. This is the wine of the world. And it leaves us empty and longing and looking and seeking. And I say, if you've been looking for joy in the wine of the world and it hasn't satisfied, the words of Mary are crucial. She says, do what he says. I know what you guys are, are thinking. Some of you, probably a lot of you are thinking, you know what, I've done what he says. Okay, I've done what he says. I know that the wine of the world doesn't satisfy me. I know that. But I could also tell you that I've done what he said and that doesn't satisfy me either. I've tried that and it hasn't given me joy. Can I offer you a suggestion? The second way that Jesus says we look for joy is by drinking the wine of religion. You see, and I'm not talking about religion as what, what, we're talk, what we do here. This is, I, I, the, the thing that Jesus came to bring was, you've heard this before, it's not a religion, it's a relationship with him. But a lot of us turn it into a religion of things that we need to do. And when it's just about things that we need to do, then life will be very, very, very boring. Our Christian life will be mundane. There will be no joy. It will be drudgery. It will feel like pulling teeth coming to church. feel like pulling teeth, forgiving people, pulling teeth to obey Jesus. See, Jesus says, okay, take these, uh, verse 6, six water jars used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Hey, what does he say? This is what the religious Jewish people would use, six water. Big jars, they wouldn't use it for drinking, but 20, 30 gallons, they used it for washing and purifying and cleansing themselves. Jesus is saying, take those old forms of religion that are empty of any joy and fill it, and I will bring joy to you. See, a lot of us, we're looking for joy in the wine of mere religion, just doing things. Come into SNF, go into house church, go to Bible study, and there's no joy within our lives. Because to us, Christianity is just about a bunch of things that we need to do. I've got to wake up early and pray. I've got to wake up and do my quiet time. I've got to uh, go feed the homeless. I've got to share the gospel. And there's no joy within our hearts. You know how you know someone is religious and not experiencing Jesus and his joy? I'll tell you how. They're very mean, and they look down on other people who are not as religious as them. i tell you a story about a guy that I heard about. There's a man who was, he was pretty incredible. He had great powers. So he took this woman up to the top of a roof, 20 stories high. And he said, watch this. And he jumped off the roof and he did like all these flips. And then he landed back on top of the building. And the lady was like, oh my goodness, you are incredible. How did you do that? And he said, at the first floor of this building, there's a restaurant and they've got magic wine. Oh my gosh. He's like, yeah, I go there all the time. I'm a regular. They always know what I drink. So she goes downstairs. She says, I'll have what he's having. And she drinks the wine that they give. She goes up to the top 20th floor. And she jumps and tries to do a flip. And she lands and she dies. Later, that man goes into that restaurant. And he's talking to the bartender. And the bartender says to him, magic wine. Superman, you can be so mean when you drink wine. Hey, there's something about drinking, if you don't get it, just let it go. There's something about drinking the wine of religion that can make us really mean. Let me ask you, is your relationship with God defined by a series of things you have to do and not do? A bunch of rules and regulations to the point that there's no joy in your life? Jesus didn't come to lead you into a religion. Right? He came to lead you into a relationship with him, a life-giving, joy-giving relationship with him. Think about this. If your marriage, is your marriage, is your marriage just a set of things that you need to do, or is it a relationship with one you have fallen deeply and madly in love with? So Sometimes Olive asks me to do things. She says, hey, can you wash the socks can you fold the laundry can you take out the trash can you vacuum the floor can you empty the dishwasher she asked me to do these things if our marriage was just about those things i would say there's no life in our marriage that would be the worst marriage ever and it's just a series of dudes that there would be no life and no joy in it But the reason why it is a delight for me to do all those things except vacuum, the reason why I I enjoy doing those things is because we have a relationship, because I love her, because she loves me, because we know each other, because we spend time together, because it's not just about all the things. she, She doesn't say, okay, wake up in the morning. Here you go. Here's your stuff for today. And I say, okay, great. And I come back home and I sleep. I wake up the next morning. Here's your things to do today. I think that's how a lot of us see our relationship with God. What day is it? Wednesday? Oh, I've got to fast today. Oh, I've got to go to a prayer meeting tonight. Oh, what day is it? Saturday? Oh, I gotta to go to church. I got SNF. Sunday. Oh, I wish I could sleep in. And when we see our relationship with God as a religion, there will be no joy in it. There'll be no song in it. One of the great mathematicians of uh, history is a guy named Blaise Pascal. And he was always, I mean, he was a, a brilliant, brilliant man. But on one night in 1654, he encountered God in power. And so he writes in his journal, and this was, he, he wrote something down, and he pasted it inside of his jacket, and he carried it with him for the rest of his life until he died, and they found it inside of his jacket. It said something from the, to the effect of, like, from 1030 at night until 30 minutes past midnight. He said, fire fell down from heaven. He said, the God of the ages has met me, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is what he said. This is great. He said, not the God of the philosophers and the God of the scholars. Not that God. But he's saying the God of Jesus Christ. The true, living, alive, working, joy-giving God. And then he said, joy, 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 tears of joy. Is that your relationship with Jesus? Is there joy in your walk with him? Is there joy in your relationship with him? Are you living in that kind of a joy? Or are we simply drinking the wine of religion that gives us the semblance, the outside, the external look, appearance of what Jesus came to offer without offering the joy? The first thing that Jesus came to do was that in a world that had lost its joy, he came to restore it. Okay, the second thing that Jesus does is that Jesus offers hope, and you got to get this, you got to get this, Jesus offers hope that today will be the worst day of the rest of your life. Wow, that doesn't sound very good, but let's uh, follow here with me. Uh, in in uh, August, I think in August, sometime this summer, uh, one of our harvesters, Hong, got married in Virginia, so a good number of us went up there. And during the wedding ceremony, as I was talking to Hong and, and Stephanie, um, I shared from this passage, and I said to them, as great as today is, this is something that Francis Chan says, as great as today is, my prayer is that today would be the worst day of the rest of your life. Why? Because the way that it is with Jesus is that it only gets better and better and better as the days go on. Have you experienced this to be true? Because that's not the way it is in the world. That's not the way it is in the world. The world promises a lot, and it gives you the pleasure up front, but then you have to pay for it for a long time afterwards. It's like using a credit card. Buy now, receive now, and you pay later. The person who's just been captivated with a love of money, that first paycheck that comes in is sweet. That second one may be sweet. The third one may be sweet. But from there, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Why? Because the more you have, the more you want. And the more you want, the more you stress. And the more you stress, the more anxious you get about it. The more worried you get about all the stuff that you have. You ask anybody who's fallen in love with money, and they'll tell you how much. You ask them, how much more do you want? And they'll tell you just a little bit more. It's a never-ending, never-satisfying cycle. It's good up front, but it gets worse and worse and worse. Same thing with those who've tasted the forbidden fruit of illegitimate, illicit sex. Whether it's an adulterous relationship, an affair, whether it's premarital sex, whether it's pornography, it's great up front. But after a while, what do you end up with? You end up with loneliness, emptiness. You end up feeling used. You end up feeling lower than you felt when you began. This is how it is with the world. But what Jesus offers is so much different. It's so much different. Look at, what the, look at what the master of ceremony says. Verse 9. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink but you have saved the best till now. What he's saying is Jesus always saves the best for last. He gives you great stuff up front, but then it gets better and better and better. That's why I can with every ounce of confidence in my heart say that I believe that 2015 is going to be the greatest year yet because it has not yet happened. And Jesus doesn't want mean, this is the best that the world offers is nostalgic looking back in remembrances of things of days of long ago. But Jesus offers hope that the days to come are going to be better. You see, you you hear people talking about this uh, hashtag FOMO these days, fear of missing out. I have a new hashtag based on this. It's called FOGO, fear of getting old. This This is the desire, the fear. This is the unspoken fear of every person in the world. I'm afraid of getting old because every year older is a year closer to death. Listen, if you know Jesus, then every year that goes by is a year closer to Jesus. And if Jesus is more than enough, then the best is always yet to come. It only gets better and better and better. You used to say this, didn't you? He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that our glory days with Jesus are in our rearview mirror. It should always be ahead of us. We have hope that tomorrow's going to be a better day. We began, a, a bunch of us began this year at our praying and fasting retreat. Uh, January 1st through the 3rd, we spent the first three days just seeking God. And um, I was so uh, deeply filled with, uh, with just uh, hope and excitement and encouragement. And many of our people were saying the same thing, just praying and seeking the Lord, recounting all of the answered prayers of this past year and that building up faith for more of God in the year to come and so as we're praying about these things and sharing these things just filling my heart with hope and with excitement I came back home and I was kind of tired so I took a nap and I woke up and I was working on stuff for today and as I was typing at about eight o'clock my computer shut down on me I was like oh no Uh, my battery must have gone out and so I need to plug it back in so I plugged it back in And I turned my computer back on, but it wouldn't turn back on. I was like, oh, no, this is not good. Let's wait and see what happens. So if you have a Mac, you know that when you plug in the charger, it's orange until it fully charges, then it turns green. The problem with mine was that it was green, even though there was no charge in the battery. So, for some reason, the battery wasn't charging. So I was like, hmm, this is strange. And so because I, I came back from a prayer fasting retreat, and I've seen God answer prayers of this nature in the past, I laid my hands on it, and I said, In the name of Jesus, let my computer come back to life. Amen. I pushed the button, nothing. I started thinking, oh my gosh, this is not good. This is a problem here. And I said, what am I going to do? So I prayed again, and I pushed it, nothing happened. And so I said, okay, what does every good person do when they don't know what to do in a situation like this? They go online. And so I typed in MacBook Pro 2011 won't turn on light green and had all these different things, different suggestions for what to do. So I, I went one by one through each of these suggestions and tried to do all these things, reset this, reset that, do this, push, hold down these buttons, push the button. None of these things would work. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm up the boat without a paddle. This is not good. It was 8.36 in the evening. I was like, I need to do something, because I've got to have something to preach today. So I said, Lord, all I need I just, all I need is, a, I just need my stuff for today. Uh, that's all I need. So in the name of Jesus, thank nothing. I said, 8:36. I was like, I can run to the Genius Bar—not the Gen- Genius Bar—I couldn't make it to—but I could make it to the Geek Squad. So I went to the Geek Squad at Best Buy. I got there about 8:53, and I said, "Hey, I've got a little—I'm in a pickle here. My computer doesn't work. I got stuff I got to do for tomorrow. I need this to work." He's like, "All right, let's see what it is. Let me try my charger." And this guy's like taking his time. I'm like, "So he's taking his time." He brings out—maybe it's your charger—and he's like in the back. He's like, "Let me find a charger." And I'm seeing him through this—like through the um, there's like this plastic door, but you could see it. I'm like watching him. And he's like. Holding up, I was like, "That's it, that's it. Just take it out, bring it." He's just sitting there, like looking at so this. He brings it out and he plugs it in. He pushes a button, doesn't work. He holds it down for like 20 seconds, it doesn't work. He's like, "All right, I'm gonna take it back to our, our our Apple Genius back here." So he takes it back there. I'm sitting there waiting. I'm like, "Lord, I just need my stuff." And I've got, I, I have some some notes on my phone for today's sermon. I'm looking through it. And I'm like, "Lord, um, help me. I really would like to have my computer." And the guy comes back and he's like, "All right, we couldn't fix it." i was like, "All right." Uh, what do you think it might be? He's like, well, we don't have time to diagnose it properly. So I was like, well, maybe, you know, and then he, he says, maybe it's the logic board, maybe it's, it's RAM. So I said, if I put in new RAM, you think it might work? And he said, yeah, if you put in RAM, it, it might work. I went to church because I had some RAM at church, right? And so I said, well, I'll pick this up and I'll, I'll bring it home and maybe Kenny can install it. So we get home, talking to Olive on the phone. I'm like, Olive, um, he's like, did it get fixed? I said, it didn't get fixed. She's like, well... Me and Manny and Elijah are praying that your computer is going to get better. I said, okay, thank you. I'll see you at home. I went the phone got home, got home. Uh, it got in the door. My mom was sitting there on her computer typing. She's like, did it get fixed? I said, no, it didn't. She's like, oh, man, we've all been praying. i was like, all right, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. So uh, I could borrow Olivia's computer and I could start working on that. So I sat down and just for the heck of it, Lord, in the name of Jesus, turn on, pushed it, and it started making a noise. There's no battery, in it. there's no charge in it. it started making a noise. I was like, "Interesting." So I plugged it in. Said, Jesus, okay, pull through because your people need to get fed tomorrow. Push the button, and it turned on. I was like, "Praise the Lord!" So I, I had this uh, been having some text conversations with some of the guys there, and I told them, "Hey, it came on, and you know, Geek Squad couldn't do it, but God could do it. And yay, we're praising God." And and uh, Daniel texted me, and he's like, um, "What did he say?" He said, "Another prayer answered. The dead." resurrected to life. (laughs) And as I was uh, typing away, I was thinking about that, and I thought this morning, I got into my office and I was praying about um, this, about us, and about this, and it felt like God was saying, listen, this is only January 3rd. There are far greater things that you need to be expecting, that I don't want to be satisfied with dead computers coming back to life. You believe that this will be a year we see more dead people come to life? I don't want to be satisfied with saving a file. What if we dreamed and really believed that God wanted to save lives and save souls? And I believe with all of my heart that part of the reason God allowed all that to happen, especially on a Saturday, it always happens on a Saturday night when I'm most busy. It always happens then. God is saying, you guys got to go back to that place and expect and to pray and to believe because the best is always yet to come for the people of God. It's always ahead of us, always ahead of us. It's like going to a restaurant. go to a restaurant, they sit down, and for most guys, they don't like bread. They give you bread. Oh, I don't like bread. Just try it. Just try it. Okay, I'll try it. Oh, my gosh, this is like cheesy red lobster bread. This is amazing bread. Holy cow, would you like some more bread? Yes, I'd like some more bread. Bring it up. So we're eating this bread, and all of a sudden, they're bringing salad. Oh, salad. I don't like salad. But this salad is unlike any other salad. It's got bacon in it. It's like the best salad you've ever had in your life. Hey, take away the bread. This salad is amazing. Would you like some more salad? Yes, I'd like some more salad. More bacon on it, please. Well, wait, we've got our appetizer comes out, and you're like, I didn't want to ruin my appetite, but this is the greatest appetizer ever. And you're eating, and you want more of it. Then all of a sudden, the steak and lobster come out, something unlike anything you've ever tasted before. This is so good. And just as you're about to push back and say, thank you very much. I'm ready to go. They say, wait, wait, wait. I hope you save room for dessert because that's what everyone comes here for. And they bring out this amazing Captain Jack's buried treasure. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is like so beautiful. Why would we stop with the bread when all of these other things are waiting for us? Jesus says, listen, the best wine is yet to come. You haven't even begun to see. You ain't seen nothing yet. It's only the 4th of January. You ain't seen nothing yet. Do you believe that greater things are yet to come? That this is our God. He doesn't give you good stuff up front and say, oops, I forgot to save some for 180 gallons of overflowing wine when there was nothing before. And he doesn't just dole out a little bit here and there. Oh, sorry, I didn't have enough. I gave, I gave too much to the protein. I don't have enough for you. Keisha. He says, no, it's in abundance. There's 12 baskets left over. There's all this left, though it's, it's an abundant overflow. There's so much more that God wants to do. He's only just begun. And then the last thing that we see. last thing that we see, this was what makes Jesus all the more amazing to me, that Jesus' first miracle, the beginning of the end for him. All this begins, verse two. Verse 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus responds kind of in a strange way, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Mother kind of brushes that off and says, he's going to do it. Just do whatever he tells you. So what is Jesus saying? Why does he say dear woman? Have you ever called your mom that? Hey, 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 Stephanie, come here. Hey, 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 John, come here, come here. Dear woman, what is it? (laughs) And how would she respond? What does Jesus say? That's not very nice, is it? What is Jesus saying? Well, in one sense, he doesn't call her mother. He calls her dear woman. I think there's a couple things going on here. One, he realizes that there is a new kind of a relationship that is beginning here. He's saying familial ties will no longer be the basis upon which you ask and receive from me. It's not by family anymore. It's by faith that you can ask and you will receive. So Jesus is saying there's a new relationship that's coming into play here. The other thing, when you hear this word woman, way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God gave a promise to the first people, Adam and Eve. He said after they had sinned, he said a curse is going to come, but check this out, serpent, from you a seed is going to come, and from you woman a seed is going to come. And one day, The seed of the serpent is going to strike the heel of the seed of the woman, and the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. Jesus is saying, you are the woman, and I am the seed that's going to crush the head of the serpent. Dear woman, you have to understand, you are only concerned about this wedding faux pas but I am concerned with the salvation of the world. There is so much more at play, Jesus said, that you don't see. He says, dear woman, my time has not yet come, but very soon after, Jesus performs this miracle and brings joy to a wedding gone bad. What's going on here? This wasn't the first time that Jesus would hesitate at the request of a family member. Three and a half years later, his father would say a similar thing. There's a cup of wine that I'm asking you to drink, Jesus. And just as he hesitated in John 2, he hesitates in the garden. Because if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What is a cup? What's in the cup that the father wants him to drink? Some of you may remember seeing a video of me feeding Elijah hot chocolate for the first time. He drinks it. He's all giddy. And he's all excited. But the first or second sip he has, he says, hot, hot. And so I needed to blow on it in order to give it to him again. Why? Because a father doesn't want to give his child something to drink that would hurt him. But Jesus' father did. What was in the cup that he's asking Jesus to drink? The cup, the fiery cup of the wrath, of the anger, of the judgment, of the justice of God over your sins, over my sins, over the rape, over the murder, over the terrorism, over the pornography, over the theft, over all of the sins that have ever been committed, concentrated into one cup of wrath. The cup that the Old Testament prophet says causes men to stumble in such a way that when Jesus drinks of it, his life would never, ever be the same again. You see, the reason why Jesus says here in Cana, wait, is because he knows that as soon as he does this, Everything in life is going to change. A timer is going to go off in his life. Never again will he have a moment of quiet. Never again will he be able to just freely relate to the Father. It will always be at the expense of sleep because he has so many needs. And he's saying, my hour to reveal my glory has not yet come. But when Jesus does this first miracle, what is he doing? For him to allow the master of the banquet to sip in that wine. It was hastening the day that he would drink the cup of the Father's wrath. What's the price for you and I to have joy? What's the cost for you and I to have joy? This is how Edmund Clowney says it. He says, Jesus Christ sat in the midst of all of that joy, sipping in the coming sorrow, so that you and I can sit in the midst of the world's sorrow, sipping in the coming joy. Whenever Jesus says, my time, in John's Gospel nine times, it's always talking about the hour of his death. The only way we could have joy is because Jesus had to die. The only way that we could have joy is because Jesus had to lose it at the cross. And he did it so undeserving, but he did it for us. One last thing. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, this happens. John wants us to always see this in light of the third day, that Jesus would die and he would drink the cup of wrath, but he would rise again as a sign that the best is always yet to come. And We can go with hope and we can go with confidence and we can go with victory if you're a child of God because the best is always ahead of us. Do you know this joy that Jesus came to bring to the world? You have this joy in you. If not, can I ask you, is what you're looking to for joy giving you what you wanted? How is that working out for you? Maybe others of us, we've been doing the right thing on the outside, but it's not leading to joy on the inside. Maybe you've seen Christianity as a religion, not as a relationship with a joy giver. Maybe saying, would you let go? and Just come, come to me. Come to me, fall in love with me. Let me love you. Let me shower you. Let me envelop you with love. Maybe some of us are here and we're fearful because of the year to come. We're worried about what it holds. Can you take a moment to believe again that for followers of Christ, the best is yet to come. Your best days are ahead of you. Let's pray for a few moments right now. Let's pray for a few moments and ask the Lord God, help me, help me to know your joy. Help me to believe this truth. Help me to understand why you came and turned water into wine. Show me what it means to me. Let's pray together for a few moments, and, and we'll continue on. Let's pray together. The price was already paid for you to have joy. price was already paid for us to have joy. Why pay another price seeking joy that does not last in the world? Would we surrender? Could you surrender? Would you dare to surrender? Believe Jesus, what he says. Let's take a moment before we come to the table of grace. Let's confess any sins before the Lord right now. Ask that he would renew our hearts, that he would turn us away from the world and turn us towards Christ, that the cross before, the world behind, from this point, no turning back. Let's confess our sins, confess our hearts, confess our need before the Lord God. Let's spend a couple moments doing that before we continue on. Father in heaven, we thank you that you were so desiring for your people to live in joy that you sent your only son to lose every drop of joy in order that we could have it. Lord Jesus, show us That's not just for the world out there. That's for each of us personally. If we were the only one on earth, Jesus would have died in order to bring us joy. Help us to see you speaking to each of us and letting each one of us know that this body was broken for them. Blood was shed for them, for each of us. Remind us of that as we come to this table of grace. We thank you, Lord God, We love you because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.